Welcome to this special edition of the Tilburg Foundation's New Thinking for a New World podcast. While our usual format is conversational, from time to time, we will feature a single voice on a global issue of importance. That makes you the conversation partner, even more so than normal. So let us know what you think. In this case, about the conflict between Israel and Hamas, as described by me, Alan Stoga, chairman of the Telberg Foundation. The latest war in the Middle East may only be in its earliest stages. Much fighting and much misery probably lie ahead. But even at this point, context is important since this conflict will have significant consequences for how the region and perhaps the world evolves. There seem to be at least two big picture scenarios. The optimistic one is that this war could be the last gasp of an old order and narrative that has dominated the Middle East for 75 years. Arabs versus Jews, Sunni versus Shia, great powers cheering and arming one side or the other in a proxy contest for resources and influence. But at the same time, preventing extreme outcomes from occurring, like letting one side actually win. What could come next? Maybe a region in which sectarianism and ideology fade in favor of mutual self-interest to create peace and prosperity for the people of the region. The pessimistic scenario is that this war reflects the beginning of a transition to a very messy world where the de facto absence of outside powers encourages regional powers to muscle each other, sometimes violently, for local hegemony and where non-state actors, Palestinians, as well as Islamic fundamentalists, have significant capability both to destroy and to disrupt for the sake of destroying or disrupting. From time to time, a temporary balance of power could evolve, but the trend line would be towards more and more deadly conflict. Unfortunately, we know from history that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. A downward spiral in the region would dangerously contribute to growing global disorder. What do we know so far that could lead us towards embracing one or the other scenario? The case for optimism. First, Iran apparently provided planning, training, and other support for Hamas, and has certainly celebrated the brutal attacks of October 7th. But this is the first regional crisis where the Ayatollahs seem to be playing their geopolitical cards well. They have done nothing, at least yet, to give Israel any reason to attack. Their celebrations have been contained. They don't seem to have moved troops or attacked ships in the Gulf, as they only recently did. They haven't let spontaneous, with air quotes, riots burn any embassies in Tehran again, as they've done recently. Indeed, they are signaling they don't want war, at least now. Second, Hezbollah has been mostly silent. Although Iran has influence with both Palestinian organizations, their ties to Hezbollah are much deeper, and Hezbollah has considerably more military clout. A two-front war would be a problem, a big problem for Israel. It seems pretty clear, at least for the moment, that neither side wants a serious fight now. Third, the Arabs have been muted in their condemnation of Israel, focused more on the humanitarian needs of Palestinians in Gaza. However, the infamous Arab street is clearly restive, 
and could change things. Fourth, China, which promoted the diplomatic rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, seems to be exerting a moderating influence on both countries. One of the known unknowns is what commitments China made to Iran and to Saudi Arabia, as well as vice versa, and whether those commitments can help prevent the conflict from widening. Fifth, President Biden's full-throated support for Israel, his condemnation of Hamas as pure evil, his commitment to provide Israel with massive new infusion of weapons, and his detailing of two aircraft carrier groups to the region are presumably intended to contain the conflict to Gaza. Sixth, the shock of the violence produced a unity war cabinet in Israel, which has, at least temporarily, diffused the country's uber-partisanship. It also brings more seasoned military leaders into power who could prevent at least some excesses that might otherwise have occurred. If one is in the mood for a megadose of optimism, it's this. While the Palestinian nihilism reflected in the brutality of the Hamas assault is unlikely to produce anything like peace with Israel, it could stimulate an effort to try to help the Palestinians to create viable, humane lives for themselves. Maybe the moral bankruptcy of the long-term strategy of containing Hamas in Gaza with a couple million people living under horrible conditions, ditto the West Bank and other refugee camps, will no longer be ignored. Indeed, maybe something good could emerge from the horrors. Now the flip side, the argument for pessimism. First, the brutality and sheer terror of the Hamas assault reflects the human consequence of decades of what has been done to the Palestinian people by Israel, by the Arabs, by the Palestinians themselves. There may be no way to recover the destruction of human spirit that has occurred, which is by no means to forgive the complete failure of what passes for Palestinian leadership. Corruption, venality, stupidity, the list goes on. And the Arabs are at least as guilty as anyone else of fomenting the Palestinian tragedy. But like climate change, causality and history are less important than present realities. What passes for life for the people who are trapped in Gaza and the West Bank is inhuman. Not surprising that it produces inhuman, despicable behavior. Second, Israeli society has, understandably, been deeply shocked by the extent, surprise, and brutality of the Hamas attacks. The result is a consensus in the country that Hamas must be destroyed regardless of the cost. In practice, that inevitably means that the ongoing siege and bombing of Gaza will be followed by boots in the ground, searching for and destroying Hamas leaders, fighters, and infrastructure. Just as inevitably, that will produce more dead civilians, whether or not it destroys Hamas. At what point will even cynical Arab leaders, never mind the fundamentally hostile Persian ones, be forced to react? Third, the leaders of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Iran, Israel, and Egypt clearly feel that the United States, China, Russia, and the European Union can be manipulated to their national or regional benefit. 
they no longer see themselves as the tools of the great power, but the reverse. They no longer see themselves as the tools of the great powers, but the reverse. That said, do those local leaders have a clear, never mind shared vision or worldview, or a realistic possibility of finding one? When was the last time that the locals actually decided their own destiny? At best, such a process will take a long time, with many inevitable and dangerous detours along the way. Fourth, the United States, which has been in the region's driver's seat since Henry Kissinger pushed Russia out in 1973, has clearly lost that role. America is still a huge source of economic and military support for all the major players except Iran. But most of those countries have been treating the United States with disdain for some time. President Biden's virtually unqualified support for Israel may destroy what is left of American influence among the Arabs, as well as perhaps in major parts of the global south. Finally, Iran has become a nuclear threshold state, and it's almost inconceivable that they will ever reverse course. The supreme leader seems to be more dead than alive, which may be why Tehran has been, perhaps air quotes, more rational than many feared or expected. That they don't want war with Israel now does not mean they don't want war with Israel ever. Of course, there is no bottom line. We are nearer the beginning than the end of what threatens to turn into a regional, maybe a global disaster. But also maybe, just maybe, this proves to be the last horrible gasp of a dying order. Let's hope so. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Thinking for New World. I'm Alan Stoga, podcast host, and I look forward to your joining our next conversation. Remember, tell us what you think at telbergfoundation.org. 